0: Hello, I'm Rachel Sandbrooks. I'm a writer and comedian, and this is the Stand By Your Nan podcast. It's a podcast about my quirky nan, other grandmothers, and family histories. This week, we're asking, are things changing for the older women today, or are matriarchs as invisible as they've always been? Our special guest is Francesca Beard, awesome spoken word artist, who's been described as spine-tingling and the queen of British performance poetry and has performed all over the world with her one-woman shows such as Chinese Whispers and How to Survive a Post-Truth Apocalypse. She's excellent. First, I'm asking the big questions like, why is my Nan less important to talk about than Winston Churchill? And why is my role model an invisible Nan? Anecdotes. When I thought about doing a comedy show about female role models, I considered who was the most influence on me. Was it Frida Kahlo, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Katie Price? No, it was my Brummy Nan Eve, mainly because she spent time with me and she was awesome. And I think we should celebrate our matriarchs. Like you can tell the whole of history in grandmothers and it only takes 60 grand to get to Jesus. Probably. Other countries celebrate grannies. Like, you know, the abuela of the Latin world, which is a title of respect. Or even in America, they've got a council of 13 indigenous Native American grandmothers who have a medicine circle to heal the world. Good luck with that, ladies. My nan's only medicine circle was Vic's rub rubbed on your chest in a circular fashion and then shoved up your nose. I can imagine her touting it as a pandemic cure to the World Health Organization. You just rub a bit of vicks on your chest, you'll be fine. The older women get, the more they get ignored. Over 40, society views you differently. Like on my last birthday, Facebook didn't wish me a happy birthday. They sent me an advert for tenor lady and money off a funeral. It's the equivalent of Logan's run, but only for women when they get wrinkles. And if you understand that reference, you're as old as me. And your red dot has started winking. I'm 50 and I'm slowly starting to disappear like Marty McFly in Back to the Future but only if I tell people my age. People never see women in their 40s and 50s. They think you just turn into a wrinkled prune when you get past 29. So I get no pleasure in being constantly assumed to be in my 30s because in media's eyes, in your 30s seems to last at least three decades and then you're just old lady which as we all know is just a comedy cartoon character. Not that there's anything wrong with being a little old lady. I loved them as a kid. I assumed they were from another planet. Like they popped out of an alien womb fully formed with cauliflower hair, a bottle of Vicks and a Wayne Hood. As a nan child I loved the way old ladies looked and on one hand my gran was a classic nan. She had white candy floss hair, she was always smiling and had a girdle that could hold in Krakatoa and after sprouts on Christmas day it often did. On the other hand she was also into expressionist painting. And Zen Buddhism, which she really needed living with my granddad And I loved, like, the proper old ladies Like my auntie Doris She wasn't my auntie, I'm not sure whose auntie she was But she always had eyebrows drawn up so high on her forehead She looked like she'd permanently seen a ghost I think she'd seem down with the kids now now the older women have real eyebrows and minimal makeup. But when I was a kid, it was the old ladies with the surprised clown faces. I bet Doris would have loved contouring. Instagram, three million followers. You just draw a line like this? Things are starting to change. Like the French president is about thirty years younger than his wife, Brigitte. I wonder if she's baking fairy cakes and moaning about the weather. Older women now are more likely to be found bungee jumping than at bus stops or on Tinder than a Stanistair lift. Also, what is the alternative? And when do you get old anyway? Like if 50's the new 30, 40's the new 20, will 60 actually be 60? As teenagers eschew nights out and rock and roll for parentally controlled online games in their bedrooms, will the new OAPs be out on the town with the teenagers moaning about them? Well, you can't go out now for some dangerous old deer mugging you on the way to the bus stop. I don't really know why my teenager is very posh but that's it so the question is are times changing and how do we redefine being an old lady all right grandma the interview there at the beginning weren't you when i started doing this and um so thank you so much for helping me with it because we've just we're starting now you know well it uh, felt like um
1: it didn't feel like the beginning, actually. It felt like a project which was um, had was a, was developing and uh, forming and building for quite a while. It felt like an incredibly uh, organic and, and deep project for you, not something that you just decided on a whim. Okay, I'm going to do this. There's a zeitgeist for this, and bish bosh. Yeah, yeah. So I did feel like I was kind of joining you on a journey that had been you know started quite a long time ago actually even with your grandmother
0: (laughs) it has it's just like yeah it's incredible anyway what i should do really because we will just chat won't we is i'll I'll just say um so welcome to the stand by your nan podcast francesca beard writer and performance poet and who was also as I've just been saying before, oh, you see, I've already fluffed it up. I've <laughs> only just started. I, I mean, just can, saying. To,
1: to all those lovely people listening, I mean, I'm going to ask you this. Do you not quite love the
0: fluffed up bits? I mean, that's, <laughs> those are the bits that yeah, I really real. like. <laughs> Well, we started talking about this as a show, uh, Stand By Your Name, and I was just starting to talk about wanting to do a show about my grandmother. And um, so we have discussed this quite a few years ago, but it's been going on since 2016 now. And now it is uh, turned into a podcast. And you were my first kind of person in mind when I thought about getting a guest in. So thank you very much for joining us, Francesca. Um, uh, I've got my thumbs up for podcast people. <laughs> I've got my thumbs, my physical visual thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so my first question I'm going to ask you, which I'm going to ask everyone, is: Do you have a nan story? Do you have a story about a grandmother that you'd like to share?
1: Oh well, so my I'm I'm from South. Sa- a mixed race south east asian and european and on my on my dad's side my my dad's mother betty betty marshall born betty marshall um and then betty beard my my grandfather oh, fantastic beard. Name. Uh, betty beard um she she very sadly uh passed died from a quite a rare disease when she was only 56 so I have very dim memories of her as this very, I, and I, for some reason I, because I um, we I grew up in Malaysia, so my I, I kind of somehow conflated her with the lady in um brief encounters because she wore those kind of really she always seemed quite elegant to me and very English so I always picture her in black and white and she did smoke as well which was quite because I think everyone smoked in those days like my dad said you know she was such a proper she cared about being really proper and she she was a bit kind of like um, you know, wanting to keep up with the Joneses, but she used to chain smoke. She'd have she'd carry around this tin of players and and light a cigarette off the last one kind of thing. <laughs> so imagine imagine her in this kind of that kind of permanent wave that a lot of the ladies had, and a pencil skirt and a kind of little nice jacket and a little one of those handbags that means that you can't actually do anything with your hands. <laughs> um, chain smoking in black and white. So that's that's on my European side, and then my um, my mother's mother, uh, my, my mother uh, was one of uh, eleven children. Nine of whom survived, and she was the third daughter of uh, a Chin uh, kind of a Chinese household. So in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of immigration and migration all over the region. And my my mother's family, my mother's mother came from quite a um, well-to-do Chinese fa- mainland family that had emigrated to Malaysia. And she married um, out of her class, I guess, to um, the son of a, a Thai labourer who was, and, and so it was a love match, <clears throat> which then went wrong. And they had these 11 children, nine of whom survived. And my mother was the third daughter um, in a kind of in a tradition and a time when sons were really valued. And then there was a son directly after her. So she was just lower than the lowest of the lowest in the pecking order. And she never had a, she had a terrible relationship with her mother, which bordered on, um, this is a bit early in the podcast, but it was it was not good. Yeah. It bordered on kind of, um, it was certainly emotionally abusive. And then when my mother married my father, who's white, my grandmother, didn't consider us her grandchildren. Yeah. So okay. and 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 I watched my mother's heart keep breaking because she was always after approval from her mum. So I did not like my grandmother on my and she refused to speak English to us and my mother would always try and get us together and then she would just ignore me and my brother. So wow. so but the nan stories that I do have are not blood related. So, yeah. there have been incredibly important grandmother figures in my life. Mm. That, and, and one um, someone who absolutely formed me as a human being was um, a, a lady that I called Ying Chair, um, and who's and, and who her family known as, you know, no, as Mrs. Ku, who became the matriarch of this wonderful family. But she, um, she was my nanny when I was growing up in Kuala Lumpur, and she was a Buddhist. Um, She basically, I think, somehow gave me a complete entire philosophy on how to live and be a human being, um, which was so deep. And um, I still think about her pretty much every week. Uh, She died when she was in her early 90s, actually. She died about Six years ago, but um you know, I always talk about her to my children, so she was very important to me a chinese yeah. grandmother i that I had, yeah, and my English grandmother is actually the kind of adopted grandmother to my children, who has become one of my best friends, and she was a former neighbor and she's eighty three and I see her you know even during lockdown. I actually saw her yesterday, I went to collect some posts for her, so so I guess my grandmother's stories are that actually, it's. I think it's really important to have a grand figure in your life, yeah. and I have made my own, <laughs> or rather, they've come to me, and I've, I've, I've kind of really um, lent into that relationship
0: and acknowledge it as the important
1: relationships of my life, basically.
0: Oh, that's incredible! Thank you for sharing that, and it does, um, it does bring to mind that those women hold a kind of space in in, um in our histories in our global histories and it doesn't take long I think when you start to talk to people about this subject to really span so much wealth of experience and stories And and I love that you've adopted your own grandmother figures and I think that's something that that's something that kind of goes pass very quickly with people, doesn't it? They don't think about it that much, but it's true. I think we all do that a little bit. Maybe if we've we've missed a relationship that we don't that we don't love, we then go and get our own version of it. And I think that's just as valid as if you have a blood relation. I'm very close to my stepmother at the moment. Um, and it's it's really interesting to see how she is fulfilling that grandmother role as well in a in a very different way to the blood relations do so yeah that's that's brilliant thank you for sharing that um the episode that I'm doing this time is about uh the invisible nan so <laughs> I I wanted to yeah there's a lot of puns in this podcast <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wanted to call this section the anecdotes, but I was getting a bit oh, please <laughs> please it's got to be the nanicdotes <laughs> so we're gonna do all of that but yeah so this is the invisible noun and is that a myth or I don't know if it is a myth that's what I wanted to talk to you about it's like are old women invisible do you think that they aren't kind of seen in the wider media or if they're I was thinking maybe where it seems to be to me that people disappear between 40 and 60 and then they like arrive as if they are some kind of hallowed um, cartoon figure of a person and that, that makes them somehow separate rather than part of a kind of aging process. So I just yeah. wanted to ask what your thoughts were on that. Oh, this is such a
1: juicy kind of topic of conversation. Well, I mean, and of course, like as soon as you say um, 40 to 60, I kind of think about the menopause, you know. Um, So, well, first of all, talking about visibility and invisibility, you know, my own experience is, yes, I think women do disappear between the ages of 40 and 60 in a way. I just kind of, and for me, there was a period of kind of a brief intense terrible grieving period of mourning followed by um what I'm still kind of living through an absolutely exalting period of joy and and kind of power and let me just explain that a bit more so I um I really hated being visible when I was a a younger person I I found I I kind of came to England at a point when being mixed race was not at all, uh, and and kind of went to a school where I was just ugly. I was ugly because I was um, not white. And um, that was just an accepted reality. That was consensus reality, and that was just accepted. And then uh, through my adolescence, when I got to, I actually then went to a boys school in the sixth form. And suddenly at that point, there was a zeitgeisty, uh change and in, in which suddenly mixed race became a little bit exotic particularly if you weren't that dark-skinned and it was also connected to a whole um uh kind of exotification of the kind of oriental are you you know problematic mm. word woman you know yeah. the kind of like uh People having good memories of essentially kind of girls that were forced to you know prost- prostitute themselves in one way or another during the war in the Philippines wow. or in Malaysia yeah. or in Hong Kong or in Singapore or you know so i I kind of suddenly became this object of incredible sexual interest for some people, mm. and that the kind of the shock between going from being kind of ugly. And socially, you know, invisible to suddenly being really visible for and very, you know, objectified was formative for me. And I became infuriated by any kind of um, any kind of weight put on my physical appearance. Any kind of compliment would send me into an absolute rage. <laughs> I just didn't take it as a positive thing at all. If anyone dared to comment on my my physical appearance and certainly not my physical attractiveness uh unless it was absolutely kind of owned and controlled by me I was a nightmare um uh, you know I didn't I I, I just I, I was in a rage all the time like people would look at me on the bus and I'd I kind of aggressively challenge them like it was continual and really destructive, actually. Um, And then as I got older, it it was tempered, and I kind of learned to use it. You know, we, as women, we all have experiences, don't we, of having to make, you know, to work with something that we might not have chosen, which is Mm. to be an object of desire. Mm. You know, you kind of then make your deals with, okay, well, this person is going to give me a job because of this, and then I can parlay that into that. But it's never it's never comfortable. It's never, it would never be anyone's first choice, I think. So when I suddenly at the age of about maybe 45, 46 became invisible, it was like really, it was like this slow fade. I was, I would walk down the street and suddenly no one would look at me. You know, one would acknowledge me, you know, I would go into a room and the attention would be completely directed elsewhere. There was a period of shock, I think, of me negotiating that and a a period of kind of loss of identity. And I went through this really, I plunged into this really deep, it was lasted about nine months of midlife crisis where I suddenly started reading celebrity magazines (laughs) and kind of like had these weird obsessions on much younger male celebrities. And it was weird. And I felt out of control with it. And then suddenly it lifted and I was like, this is what I've been waiting for my entire life. Yeah. No, one, no one wants me for my, you know, no one's going to look at me. No one's going to give me any attention. And from then on, it's just been the best thing. It's been <laughs> glorious. And my kids really laugh at me. I'm 53 now and they're just like, <laughs> because I'm becoming quite... Uh, quite eccentric and quite kind of like I'm really leaning. it. I, I was like said to them, you know, there's two ways I can go. I can become a really stern, you know, like Chinese type grandmother, or I can become that crazy one that walks like this and I yeah. imitation of like. And they're like, you can't do that, mum. It's racist. And I'm like, yeah. And I kind of sing when I, you know, I kind of sing on the streets and really leaning into being kind of quite eccentric
0: and. Yeah, I feel really free. That's wonderful. I was thinking about, (laughs) I was thinking when you were saying about being visible uh, sexually early on. I do remember very clearly walking down the high street when I was fifteen in school uniform and being wolf whistled. And I got to the point where I didn't want to leave the house because, I mean, this was this was kind of late eighties, early nineties kind of thing. Complete wrap. No building sites.
1: uh, yeah. you know walking past the building site in your grungiest clothes
0: and then just head down and you, at you yeah. yeah and I remember being tried to be picked up by um people in cars if I walked down the wrong bit <laughs> of Birmingham if I walked down um in Balsall Heath I would have cars slow down and ask me how much And I was like, I'm, look at me, look at how I'm dressed. It's quite obvious that I don't want that attention. And I can very distinctly remember that. I don't think I've had your experience of walking in a room and everybody thinking I'm wonderful. (laughs) I don't know if that's just me. Maybe I've always kept my head down a little bit because of that, because of that that experience. It's probably 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 because you're like, Complete paranoia. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's that kind of like self-consciousness thing. But, yeah, there's a possibility I've really kind of did feel like I wanted to be invisible. And then now, yeah, you start to get to this point. But I realise there's a there is a power in that. It does make you feel like I don't know about you, but I'm 50 this year and um, it is starting to make me feel a bit more like I keep saying to myself, is this how men feel? Like you can just kind of go and do what you like without having to excuse yourself constantly and I you know that just reminded me of my my nan actually the um started to do stuff when she was 55 so she started painting and she started doing loads of creative stuff so it must have been at some point she kind of shed like decided she would shed that uh feeling of I've got to do what I'm told and turn into this very eccentric person so yeah, you're feeling that now. You're feeling the call cool of the. Exercise. I'm
1: living my best life. I tell you, I really am. I think. Um, I mean, I. So I always feel a bit kind of guilty to say this because I, I, I acknowledge and I know that, and I, you know, you can never tell how it's going to go, can you? You can never tell. You know, there's, I. When when I say it, I, I'm, I kind of, I'm conscious that for for many people, menopause is really painful and hard but also incredibly destabilizing and destructive and um you know and I and I think that those conversations need to be had and I didn't have that experience personally I kind of went from um uh having periods and you know being not menopausal to men to not having any periods like that that I you know there wasn't any real issue but I didn't feel yeah yeah it was it was super super easy for me so I think if however what I've witnessed is sometimes it's like a kind of baptism baptism of fire so I've witnessed some of my um friends and acquaintances go through really hard menopauses, and actually they've kind of this kind of burn off any kind of f's to give about yeah. certain things like they've gone I don't have time for this anymore they've literally they've, they've literally been kind of like suffused by rage <laughs> they've kind of burnt up with this kind of like and um and and come out the other side and you know, you know left that- their partners kind of yeah. left their careers burnt bridges um burnt boats all those kind of um, burning metaphors and kind of kind of a a different person sometimes you know quite shell-shocked but still different I mean yeah so I I didn't have that but I think the experience I had early on about being about having to care so much what people thought because I felt like it was continually projected onto me has given me this absolute appreciation for not being, vis- you know, visible as a kind of desirable woman uh, for mm. a kind of consensus reality type thing, yeah.
0: So we're so it is about that kind of who's looking. It's about it being desirable as a woman. Um, but then I, I wonder if we're not. It's like as soon as that goes, we're still not listening to older women after that it's like oh yeah your use is gone now we won't listen to you so I kind of I get that it's brilliant that you're invisible in some ways and then in other ways I think so in some ways you know you could heist a bank it would be fine (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in other ways I think well why aren't we listening you know there was that um, that whole thing of why aren't we hearing what older women have said like I, I did share with you that Mary Beard article because I thought it was really interesting she was looking at older women in history and how there was a witch hunt and um people are scared of women with long gray hair and there is that kind of image of uh you're either you're either cozy or you're some kind of uh devil in disguise of a person so um I think, yeah. I, th- I don't, I, maybe this is just rose tinted, but
1: I think people do listen to older women. Mm. I do. I think, you know, people listen to Mary Beard. She's got long gray hair. <laughs> I mean, they <laughs> love her, right? People, we, you know, she's very popular and, and she has a platform. And and then I think about world leaders, you know, there are a number of women world leaders, you know, like kind of thinking about the p- pandemic and you know, all those statistics about, the countries led by women yeah. of a certain age, who have all done really, really well, you know. And yeah. and, and I think, um, yeah, kind of Taiwan and uh, Germany and, you know, I guess um, New Zealand, she's pretty young still. She's a young mum. But um, I think I, I don't want to be kind of, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm not in solidarity, but there was a there's a quote by Bjork that I always think about which is the cage is open.
0: Yeah. Um
1: you know the cage is open like we can you know I think a lot about freedom in my in my uh I guess my work and it's freedom is a, is is something which I'm really kind of drawn to thinking about what it means. Um and I don't think it means doing what you want necessarily. I think it comes with a, a kind of responsibility and I think it's quite, it can be quite hard to take. Freedom. Yeah. But I think that, you know.
0: Do, do you think though that the, um yeah, the women that are taking power and do seem to be doing really well, but they're still possibly, there is a lot of power that isn't in their hands as well. I mean, I, I guess I'm just thinking of what's happened in Britain, but then, You know, I mean, Dido Harding's not done particularly well with the test and trace, so she's not a good example. I'm trying to think of someone who I can say would, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, you know, if we look at how she's been coping with things, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there there is still a kind of, there is still a hold over things. But do you think things are changing then? Do you think people are being heard and there is a... In in my
1: experience, you know, it's always, for me, it's about, you know, there are so many things that you can't change and that you can't control. And the one thing you can potentially, although it's difficult, change and control is how you behave and how you act and what you do. And like you're doing this podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, You're making a podcast about older women, about nans. You're celebrating older women. That's something that you have chosen to do. And that you are doing now and you are putting into the world. And that, that must feel good, right? And yeah,
0: yeah, it does. But I do still think that there are situations where I've been into meetings and things and workshops where they've said, really, we only want to relate to the 16 to 25 market. And there was one recently, there was a call out for comedy writers and they were saying our audience is 40 to uh, 50 year olds, but we only want uh, characters that are 20. They're clearly so, wrong, aren't they? Yeah, I they mean, think they are wrong. They're clearly wrong. They're clearly missing a trick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Yeah. And, you know, the,
1: I mean, unfortunately, they might hold the kind of purse strings at the moment and be gatekeepers yeah. at the moment. But I think things are changing. And yeah. the only way they are going to change is if we change them. Because no one's going to come along and and kind of clear a path for you when it's not in their interest, sadly, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean. But I yeah. think, I think women of you know, women of forty to sixty are incredibly powerful, and and actually are you know, are often in positions of power. Um, maybe not like yeah, maybe not enough, or maybe there's not there's there's kind of there could be more kind of acknowledgement or more solidarity.
0: Um, I think we could all do with kind of speaking to different generations myself I think like it it, like you say maybe there is a lot of uh, maybe there's power there's a lot of experience in older women over 60 as well and instead of being kind of on separate sides we could be thinking more in terms of well how um how younger women and older women can have a conversation about all these things because i know it feels sometimes it feels like cliff edges that you're going over and you become this kind of different person but that's been really interesting i like that i like the fact that you you are believing in the power of the older women anyway and that we can kind of maybe um redefine what that is um so uh, i know that there was one question I really wanted to ask, which was, and I think you've kind of answered it a little bit, but I'd like to ask it anyway. So what would you like to be when you grow up, when you become <laughs> the old lady? How do you kind of see yourself? Oh. Like banks? Or...
1: <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I, you know, I kind of, I've got like really great role models for being uh, an older lady from the, the women that I was talking about before. Yeah. So Heather, My friend, Heather, who I call my BFF, she's, you know, she's 80, she's 84 this year and she is just awesome. She's like her whole mantra is be kind. Um, And I think that's really, really, and she is incredibly kind, but she's also, she's also really good fun. And also she's the kind of person that if it's a bit boring or there's nothing much in it for her then she'll probably try and get out of it so her whole be kind you know like which I think is really important as well like you know you don't want any kind of po-faced kind of martyry behavior so she has an enormous amount of fun but she's also incredibly incredibly um I guess uh connecting for a community that's growing around her I think people in general are really attracted to certain types of energy like my instinct if I see someone trying and do something um which is building and positive and generates a kind of sense of you know fun or positive energy I will gravitate towards that I think people say yes to that or the type of people you want to attract will say yes to that and she she puts out that energy in the world and there's continually lovely things going on with her um it makes me so happy that she's so close to my kids as well yeah um you know who are both girls so she's she's such an incredible role model and I just think there are so many ways of being powerful in the world and I think one of the more powerful ways is to kind of affect the people kind of you know, in, in your actual local community. You know what I mean? Like rather, because there's, you know, if we focus on the big picture, it can get really hopeless. I think, how can I possibly make a difference about this or that? Or, you know, when I do this, it's hurting someone, you know, on the other side of the world or what are we going to, you know, and I think that can get, that really saps your energy. Whereas, a lot of her energy is almost immediately rewarded in this wonderful feedback loop because she's just really active and kind of positive in her community. And it does spread out, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's wonderful, that idea that you can be centre of a community and to look who is around you. I mean, we've all had that experience in lockdown, looking at where you actually live, what road you're on, who's actually nearby. And um, I know uh, I know we both do kind of community work. I know that you're kind of a community activist, really, like you're really doing a lot for that. And I, I do think there's something about um, having that positive community action where you literally just put on something for people to join in somehow and you don't just kind of shut the door on people because they're not your audience or your market or something like that you you literally go we are all in this together um and I'm interested I'm interested to know what you're all about so that sounds fantastic I I look forward to um you (laughs) rejuvenating communities as a (laughs) in your power kind of pose as a as an older woman oh no I mean it's
1: they're there though as well do you know what I mean it's the, the energy kind of really that's what I see it's a kind of it's not like this selfless action the you know I think if you feel if you feel connected in a kind of good positive way to people it makes you feel good yeah
0: this is so true it it builds it doesn't it whereas when you're doing something more negative or more competitive in a way it kind of cuts things off I I like the idea of of building things with people and with um positive energy though I am I feel like I'm losing my plot a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I mean I guess in terms I of, role model, like, yeah. of like old, older
1: and kind of what what my goals are I feel like I, I, I okay here's one thing so I I do performances and I do shows yeah. um and and I'm also really lazy as well. So I, I, and I, I can't think, believe it. <laughs> no, honestly, I think laziness is like one of my best qualities because it means that, you know, I, I, I like to have a good, good effect, but I don't want to spend any more energy than I need to, to, and to get like really good results. So it often often makes me kind of think of, quite cool or alternate or lateral ways to kind of do things. It's like, that's too long. What if we do that? Or (laughs) I mean, that's why I do a lot of audience interaction and um, participation in my shows, which I try and make meaningful and, and and actually structurally part of the show. And the big reason for that was I find it really hard to learn lines. Like my memory isn't amazing. Like some people can just read a script and remember it immediately. And I was like, God, how am I going to I'm gonna reduce the amount I have to learn? Ooh, well, if I do some improvisational stuff, particularly if it involves audiences, and then I thought, because audiences really love it if they look great, you know, and because <laughs> everyone loves just that kind of, and it's so surprising and it's everyone's favourite part. And then you have to actually make it good. You can't make it token, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So... For example, so that's an example. That's a total example of laziness. Like all of the parts in my shows, which are the best parts, which are audience improvisational, kind of immersive, pivotal stuff. That's total laziness. That just avoids having to learn script. Um, <laughs> but
0: so this horse- is my- a whole new podcast about oh, yeah. how no, to devise
1: my- <laughs> with Francesca.
0: <laughs> but
1: um, no, so my okay, so my my goal is to have as much fun as possible do you know what I mean and to be and also to be as I think to have fun and be kind and kind of like allow other people give other people permission to have fun and be kind that would be my my absolute goal getting older because I think when you get older there is a kind of permissiveness like I know you've been working with a group of older people as have I and I've been working with the same group now of older people at risk of isolation. (laughs) Ha ha! They're based in Islington. And we meet now, and we've met throughout lockdown um, on Zoom, which has been a bit tricky because no one is a digital native and you know our oldest mm. member is 96 this year and but we have got everyone on zoom and the organization I work with is amazing and they got people tablets with kind of contracts so that they get in pay people's phone bills if they need to use landlines to go on zoom but that group is just amazing and they're like and one of the reasons that they're amazing is because they're old <laughs> they're at this point part of because when you get to be old not only do you have this amazing experience of life yeah but, and you kind of slow down so you've got a bit less ambitious for things you sh- you think you should be less ambitious for and much more ambitious of things that you think are actually genuinely important about yeah. the world and also you've gotten very little f's to give because you haven't got that much time you can't waste time trying to please other people that you don't care about yeah they've been amazing to work with because it's been like okay as you get older you understand that life is amazing and precious and we don't have that much time what do we really want to do Mm. well have fun
0: and be kind yes (laughs) I love that I think that's my new mantra I'm gonna write it down (laughs) So there is a history of older women being ignored and made invisible. But many women report enjoying actually the lack of attention because it leaves them free to do other things like heist banks or snort horlicks, that kind of thing. But as we're evolving, perhaps our perception of age and ability is flawed. And as I get older, I bloody well hope so. In essence, being an older woman could be the prime time for freedom and finally living your life how you want to but also it's a privilege. I mean, come on, you're still alive. We've been devastated by COVID. Let's stop playing small and speak up. Don't do what everyone expects you to do. Rise up and then sit down again. Cause you know, you got up a bit too quickly, but then rise up. Say, I am Granticus. No, I, I am Granticus. It's fine. Stand By Your Nan has been written and performed by Rachel Sambrooks, co-produced with Steve Keyworth, and with music by Lewis Barfoot. It's a Gertie Words production funded by Arts Council England.
1: And now I'm returning with Golden Great Storm.